Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If you happen to be new here this morning, we want to just say welcome. If you're new online, we want to say welcome to you as well. We're grateful that you chose to come and to worship with us this morning. Um, If you're looking for a church home, we would certainly love it if you find one here. We also recognize and know that there's a lot of great churches here in Sheridan. So if you don't find one here, it's our hope that you might find one in one of the bodies of Christ that, that celebrate, that, that uh, glorify Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross on our behalf. So we're going through uh, our, our series is, is, is the book of Mark. Um, we're just kind of taking chunks of Mark as we go. Uh, we're going to keep in Mark until we get through it. We don't know how long that's going to take. Um, but we want to dig around in this. You know, the, 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 the gospel and, and, and God's word to us is just, it, it's so much more than just books that are put together. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a measuring stick. It's something that we look at and we, we begin to understand and know and, and experience this relationship to Jesus and who Jesus is, the depths of who he is. And, and not just that, but it gives us something to look at to even compare our own lives to, to see how we are in this journey. And it's, this, it's a book, it's, it's not just this book that just has words on a page, but it's this, it's this thing, it's a collection of books, it's a library of books that, that speaks straight into our heart and, to, and into our soul. It penetrates, it's alive, it's, it, it, it's always bringing new things in us. And so, you know, we just want to be careful as we get into God's Word that we don't just kind of read over God's Word, but that we really read into God's word, and then we, 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 we pull out of it the things that God has for us at this time and this season of our lives. And so that, that varies. I know for me, there's times where like I'm reading things that I've read a hundred times, and then all of a sudden, boom, they just jump off the page at me because it's so relevant to my life at the time. So, so let's jump in here. We're at chapter two of the gospel of Mark. So grab a pew Bible, open your Bible, turn your Bible on, whatever you do here. And we'll get into this, and we'll start to look at this. All right, Mark, chapter 2. It says this. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus, remember, Jesus was... In Capernaum initially after his, uh, his temptation uh, in the wilderness, and, and then he, he ministered there, it said, and he healed people, and he cast out demons, and, and he just, he, he began doing all of these things, but then one morning he got up, he said he, he went and prayed, he heard from the Father that he needed to go and that he was going to go out, so he went all through Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons, it says, and, and doing his ministry out and about. And now he's, he's kind of went on tour a little bit. Jesus went on, 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 on tour, and then now he's come back to Capernaum. And as soon as he gets back to Capernaum, there's as much uh, excitement about him and what's going on in his ministry as there was when he left. As a matter of fact, it says that here that Jesus was at home. Now, that's kind of an interesting thought there. Um, you know, people fall out on different thoughts of that. Did Jesus have a home that he later gave up? You know, I mean, we, we really don't know. Most likely, it's probably Peter's home, a place, though, that Jesus is residing while he's at Capernaum, but it is the place that Jesus identifies, and the, and the writers here identify as that this is his home base. This is Jesus's place, and that's where he's at. He's in this home. Um, prior to, he was, when we saw the crowds and stuff, he was in Peter's home, and he was teaching 
to the to the people here. So there's there's just tons of people. Jesus is beginning to have this following where there's just a lot of people that are showing up to to uh, to hear what he's got to say. And he's here and he's in this home. One thing I really love about Jesus and start to uh, we have to start to understand is that Jesus isn't just uh, giving his teaching just on Sundays, right? It's not just this thing that he's doing at the, on the synagogue, in the synagogue and on Sundays. He's actually teaching regularly all of the time, and people are, are, are here to, to listen and to hear. I think it's a, it's a great reminder to us is that we, we can't just be um, a people who are just kind of getting fed on Sundays, we, we've, we've got to actually be in God's word and seeking this out really on a daily basis. You know, the picture for the people of Israel was, was that, that basically God's provision for them as they wandered in the wilderness was manna, right? And, and manna is an interesting thing. The, the Hebrew word manna actually means, what is it? So, I mean, they got up, they got out of their tents, there's all this stuff on the ground. Like, what is it? That's manna. Okay. So anyway, the, the manna became their provision. It became what fed them as they wandered in the, and as, the, as they were traveling in the wilderness and wandering around in that spot. But the interesting thing about manna was that you went out and you, you picked up enough manna just for that day. And that, and that manna was enough to sustain you for that day. But today's manna wouldn't carry you over into tomorrow. It actually went bad. The only time it didn't go bad was, was when you picked up enough so that you could practice the Sabbath day. But other than that, it was only good for that day. God's grace for you and I is enough and it's sufficient for today. Whatever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, whatever struggle you have, God's grace, his manna, his provision for you for today is enough. It's, it's enough to get you through. But guess what? Yesterday's grace isn't sufficient for today. Today's grace isn't going to carry us through tomorrow very well. It's, it's this idea that we wake up each and every day recognizing that his grace and mercy, his kindness, his goodness is new and fresh every morning. And we should be a people who are just excited to gather and to hear what he has to teach us. So Jesus is preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get him in near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let, down, let, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's think about this. This guy's situation is, is, is desperate. He, he, he can't deal with what he's got on his own. He, he needs other people. And thankfully, this guy's got at least four good buddies, good friends of his, that are willing to take him to the place where there is a solution. They're, they're willing to take him to where Jesus is at. And they're determined to, to get him to Jesus and, and because they know that Jesus is the solution, that he's he, they've seen him doing these things. They've seen him healing people. And so now they're bringing their friend to Jesus to receive some healing. It's kind of interesting because I think that what happens to them is that they meet a real crossroads. As a matter of fact, they get to the place where Jesus is at, and it says that the crowds are too big for them to even get in. I mean, it's not even just like a little crowd. There's, there's enough people. It's crowded enough. It's, it's, they're pressed in tight enough and all of this that they, they don't feel like they can even get their friend into the very presence of Jesus. There's just too much going on. 
what a temptation at that place right there to just say, well, we tried. We, we, you know, we, we did what we could do. We took him there. We, you know, we went and got him. We picked him up. We took him there. But gosh, you know, it was just, there was just too many people. We just couldn't get up there. We just couldn't get him to there, you know? Uh, they, they, that was probably a, a, a real temptation. I think that's something we have to look at as the church. Do we do that? Are we willing to go that extra mile? Because I like this story. I like this guy. I don't know who these guys are, but let's, let's think about this. There's, there's four guys, and, and, and Jim, is, is, he's laid out on this stretcher, and, and he's, you know, they're like, Jim, Jim can't do anything. He's, just, he's completely dependent on everybody, these, these friends of his, to get him there, right? And they can't get there, and they're like, dang, what are we going to do? And then there's that one guy, and I always, I, I like this one guy, right? This one guy who's, you know, maybe you had a friend like this. Maybe you are this guy. And I tell you, if you are this guy, I appreciate you very much. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. I know. Let's take Jim up on the roof. Let's rip the roof off of this place, and let's lower him down in front of Jesus, right? I like that kind of thinking, Right? Like, that's out-of-the-box thinking, right? That, that's not just like, you know, most people would be like, you know, dang, man, we just can't get there. We just can't get there. We just, we tried. We gave it an honest shot, but the, it was just too many people. We couldn't get Jim up to Jesus. We'll try again next time. Not this guy. He's like, no, let's pack Jim up on top of the roof, right? Let's grab him. Let's haul, I'm wondering what Jim's thinking at this point. I, I know his name's not Jim, but we, we don't know what his name is, but we're just gonna call him Jim for the sake of this thing. But I wonder what he's thinking, right? These are the kind of people that you need to have around you. These are the kind of people that we need to be as the church, right? We need to be a church and a people who are willing to rip roofs off and tear things up to get people to Jesus, right? Think about this. Jesus is teaching, and this is his house, some way, whether it's his home base or whatever. Now there are these dudes that are up on the top, and now all of a sudden, clay and dirt and sticks and stuff are starting to fall down into the house because there's people up on top of the house ripping the roof off of the place. What would you have done? Now think about being Jesus, right? I would be like, get off of my roof. What are you doing? Get off of my roof, right? What are you tearing my roof off? Stop it. Maybe it's no wonder he just said first thing, you know, your sins are forgiven. I don't know, you know. That's what I would have to start with, right? Your sins are forgiven. All right, I'm over it. You ripped my roof off. Because Jesus is probably going to have to fix it, right? He's probably going to have to fix this thing. But, you know, these guys get up there, and they rip the roof off, and they, they lower their friend down, and, and, and it says that Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. It was their faith, their determination, their grit, their, their uh, just unwavering desire to get their friend to Jesus. And Jesus rewarded that. And, and he, just, he just, but the first thing he did is he says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's kind of an interesting thing, right? They brought him there to, to heal him physically, but Jesus just starts out with, okay, your, your sins are forgiven. And, I, I, you know, the guys that just ripped the roof off are probably like, hey, we, we, ripped, the whole roo we ripped the roof off, Jesus. Um, can, that's cool that you forget, but can you heal him? We brought him here so he could get healed physically, right? But you see, Jesus is going to deal with this, this, this core issue, right? 
What is this man's deepest need? What is the deepest need of humanity? Our deepest need is for forgiveness. It's that spot, it's it's that thing that we all need is we need forgiveness because there's a reality that that you and I have have been an offense, right? No matter how good we see ourselves, no matter what life has looked like for us, there's there's times where we've we've done the wrong thing and we've we've hurt people and we've we've done things that just we shouldn't have done. And so Jesus deals with this, this, this core issue, you see, and if it stops here, this guy has everything that he needs. Whether Jesus heals him physically or not from this point on is honestly kind of a non-issue because the one true thing that you and I and everybody in this world needs is the forgiveness of our sins, the, the restoration of our relationship with God. And once that happens, the rest of it honestly is gravy in our lives. The rest of it is just, is just gravy. It's, it's the one true thing that we need. And, and if that's all that we get from God, we should be an incredibly thankful people. Because the rest of it, the promises for, for one thing, we've prayed for people to be restored. We've prayed for God to, to physically heal people. And, and we've seen some of that happen and we've seen some of it not happen, right? But the prayer For the person who is in Christ, who has had their sins forgiven, is always answered with perfect restoration, with perfect even physical healing one day at the culmination of time that God is going to answer and fulfill and hear that prayer. Remember for us, the hope is the resurrection. The gospel is the hope for those who don't know Christ, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have a relationship with God. But the hope for the believer is the resurrection, that one day all of the things of our deepest desire to be healed and to see our loved ones healed and to see death gone and to see our tears dried and to see sin put off and to be no more, those are the great promises of God. And those are the promises that every single one who is in Christ can rest assured that we will experience one day. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. He deals with just this, this core issue. Now remember too, in this culture and at this time in, 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 uh, in, in this Asian kind of culture, basically uh, there's more karma in their thought pattern. Remember, karma and the Bible are not the same. We, the, the Bible does not teach karma, Right? We always talk about karma in the culture. Oh, karma, caught up with that person. Now, now the Bible teaches something that's like karma, and it's this. It says, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be fooled. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows out of this, he shall also reap, right? It's this idea that whatever seeds you're throwing in your life out there, if they're good seeds, eventually you're going to get a harvest, and, and that harvest is going to look pretty, you know, basically okay, Right? Or if you're sowing bad seeds in your life, it's going to take you down a bad path. It's going to take you a direction that you don't want to go. And, and, and then there's going to be a harvest out of that as well. So there's, there's really hope in that. But see, see, the karma, the laws of karma say that no good deed goes unrewarded and no evil deed goes unpunished. But you see, the book of Job and some of the things like that show us that, that actually sometimes bad things happen to good people. That if something bad happens to us, it's not necessarily the result of something that we've done or that God is angry with us or that we've, we've messed up. And so now he's, he's given us the, 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 the lightning bolt. It's not like that. 
You see, there's karma and then there's a broken world that we live in. There's, there's a reality of a broken world that we're in. And so Jesus, everybody who is looking at Jim that can't move on his mat, that can't do anything for himself, is thinking in their heads, oh, it's the sin in Jim's life that's causing this, right? It's, it's really his sin. That's the problem with him. It was the thing that Job's friends kept trying to push forward. You've, you've, for you to have experienced this horrible calamity, it's got to be because of the sin that's in your life, right? And, and so, so Jesus just deals with this right off the bat, but not before, but before he deals with his physical stuff. He lets everybody know, look, your sins can be forgiven. And, and I, that's why ultimately, that's ultimately the mission that Jesus has come for, not to heal us all physically, not to save us from difficulties or calamities or, or to keep hard things from our lives. See, Jesus didn't come to enter into some kind of a codependent relationship with me and you to where he's just always going to make sure everything is fine and okay and easy. He's not going to do that. He's not doing that. He's given us a free will and we're free will agents. And because of that, there's a real danger in that and there's a real difficulty in that, in, in that we tend to make some things kind of go awry at times. And sometimes other people's things spill over into our lives, but the answer and the hope is still in this same place. And if we would just be a people who believed and understood that within the mission field that God has put us in, that if we would start tearing some roofs off, that we would get to see a movement of God that would blow us away. The religious here, what are they saying? The scribes, they're looking at this and they're questioning in their hearts and they're saying, you know, why, why does he speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? They're absolutely right, right? They're right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Not me. I can't do anything about it. I can't absolve sin. I can't take away sin. I can't deal with my own, much less anyone else's, but we have someone to intercede for us who is faithful and true, who is able and has taken that sin on us. So they're absolutely right when they're saying, who can forgive sins but God alone? This is absolutely a proclamation and a declaration by Jesus of his deity, of who he is, that he is God who has come in, who's entered into time, space, and history to deal with our suffering, with our pain, and with our sin. But you see, they're, they're just... Um, they're just looking for the wrong, right? They're, they're looking for, for how can we get, you know, how can we get this guy? And immediately Jesus perceiving it says in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Which one do you think is easier? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your mat and walk. To be honest with you, for us, neither of those are easy, right? Neither of those are actually within the scope or the realm of our own ability as human beings. We can't do it. But in Christ, right, all things are possible in Christ. You see, then Jesus goes ahead and he demonstrates his divine power and, again, his authority, not just in the 
the, the realm of, of forgiveness, the spiritual realm, remember, like casting out demons, the intellectual realm that he is teaching and that he is, he is, he is shaping us in our minds and growing us and changing us, but he is also has authority in the physical realm as well. And Jesus can, will, and does heal, and he still does today. He does. And we can always go before him in faith. But sometimes, you know, Jesus rewards this stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the New Testament and these teachings that, that say God kind of likes it if you really hound him a little bit. Like if you're that, need some bread. Hey, uh, bread, I need bread. Asking nicely, please have some bread. Maybe, maybe that's better. That's what my, yeah, my mom's probably watching and saying, try, say, please. Please, please, may we have some bread. Please, some bread. Prayer, right? That repetitive prayer, that going back and back and back and back, knowing that he is the solution and that he is the way, that he is the one who can meet that need and to just continually go. And the, and the, and the parable says, hey, if there was a, a lady that was doing that to her neighbor, finally at midnight, her neighbor would wake up and say, fine, here, have some bread. How much more would a good and gracious God who loves us, who desires to to, to move uh, in our lives, in and around us. How much more willing is he going to be even than that? And so it, so it says your, your sins are forgiven. Now rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So why is Jesus doing, and especially in this time and in this place, doing so many of these physical healings it is, to, is to demonstrate the reality of the power and the presence of God, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it is present with them. And so Jesus is doing these healings, and in so doing, he is demonstrating and affirming the reality that he has authority to do that, that he is God, that he's God, that he's God walking with them at that very moment. And so the guy rose immediately, picked up his bed. He went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. That would be so cool. Can you imagine just being there at that time? So Jesus moves on, and it says that he went again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Now again, now Jesus' ministry, it's grown so much, and there's so many people that are coming and want to hear and be taught by him that in the house, it's just, it's not working anymore. Now he's starting to move out, and he's teaching beside the sea. And the amazing thing about Jesus doing this and the, the thing we would really get a hold of is, again, he's not just, he's not just keeping his teaching to the synagogue. He's opening it up, and as he goes out and he just does his public ministry out by the sea, it's available to women and children and Gentiles, and all kinds of folks are, are just coming in throngs to, to see him and to hear him and to listen to him. And so he's out, and again, it's not just on, on the Sabbath day. He's teaching all the time, and he's teaching them. But on his way there, it says he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And then it goes on. Um, as we look at that, what he's doing is he's, he's saying that, that, that there's, there's something that you need to put down, Levi. Remember, he's already 
to, to Peter, Simon, and John, and, and these other guys. He's already told them, put your nets down. Come and follow me. And, and the call to these guys is to full-time ministry. These guys are being called out to, to dedicate their lives to, to ministry from this point on. And so in doing that, we see him asking them to put aside what they're doing, what their vocation is, right? And, and Levi here, he's a tax collector, He's not a very popular guy in the culture. He's seen as a traitor. He is seen as, as, as somebody who has, uh, has given um, his devotion to the Romans, and, 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 they, and that he's basically extorting his share of, of money, what he takes home, out of the taxes that he's collecting. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees believed that only those who um, followed the law were uh, entitled to receive God's grace. Tax collectors were outcasts. They couldn't be witnesses and they couldn't be judges. Uh, They were expelled from the synagogue and their disgrace extended all the way into their family even. But Jesus is telling them to to put that aside. And for, for Levi, this is an incredibly profitable thing. For the fishermen, it was everything about what they knew in their life, and he's calling them into a full-time place of ministry. And the fact that they were able to put those things down and walk into that is a demonstration of the reality that they were called to full-time ministry. My friend Terrell down the street tells me, if you, you know, you're asking or anybody's ever wondering, am I, am I called to ministry full-time? Am I doing that? Well, Terrell would say this. He would say, if you can do anything else, do it. But if you can't do anything else, that's the call. But we're all called, but we're not all called to the same place or the same degree. All of it is ministry, though. Make no mistake that there is a call on your life, whether you do ministry full-time or not. We're all to be in ministry. There, there's, no, there's, no, um, there's no around way around this. You see, Mark 8, 34, we're going to get into that, but it says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That there's a thing that each of us most likely have to lay down or lay aside or, 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 or not put in a place of idolatry maybe in our lives. That can look like all kinds of different things. But if there's something that's impeding you, if there's something that's more important to you or to me, there's something that's captured our hearts before God, then that's a thing that we need to really lay down. We need to deny ourselves. We need to understand that this thing isn't about looking after number one. It's it's about self-denial. It's about considering others as being more important than ourselves. It's about recognizing that it's more important that Jim get to see Jesus than for me to be inconvenienced on my day off and decide to not help Jim get there. So we're all called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, to follow him, to to begin to emulate his life in our own lives. This is the call of the church. Oops. Mark 10, 17 through 21, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good 
except God alone. Another true statement. Click. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Right? Jesus teaches this. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So what's he saying? Is it, is it bad to have wealth? No, not at all. The, the, the issue at hand in both places here has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with a heart. It has everything to do with where our heart is. The reason that God gives us so many warnings about wealth, and we all in America need to take heed from this, is because wealth has the great potential to lead us away from the ministry and the calling that God has in our lives. It has, the, it has the thing, it just gets a hold of us and it just wraps us up into this thing where we just keep just more, 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 right? It, it has the capacity to just to, to take us away from what we've really been created and why we're really here, which is to build his kingdom and to be about his kingdom purposes. But wealth in the purpose of that has a place. There's, there's incredibly great things that we can do with wealth. And if we, if we understand the reality of the stewardship of that and our heart is right before the Lord and it's not an idol in our lives, well, there were all kinds of wealthy people in the Bible like Abraham, Job. They had a lot of goats and sheep, but that was the, that was the currency of the day, you know? They had a lot of stuff, but God never condemned them for those things. As a matter of fact, Job was called the righteous man, and he was the richest man in the whole area. So it's really not about that. It's about our heart. See, that's why Jesus says you, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one, and you'll forsake the other. And, and then the issue is in our lives is where are we at with this ministry walk? Is there, is there something else that we're serving because you can't be in two places at the same time? Easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person. The key there is that person who just sees themselves as self-sustained, in need of nothing. I'm a rich person. I got it all taken care of. Everything that I need is, is in my stuff, and I'm able to, because I'm able to provide for my physical needs and to, and to live well and comfortably and stuff like that, I don't really need a savior because I've kind of got it together. That's the problem here, and that's the person that it's more easy for a camel to jump through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter heaven. It doesn't mean that a wealthy person would have any struggles whatsoever with their heart and their affection and their focus put on Jesus. Luke 9. But you see, the, the rich young ruler had to put that aside. Why? Because it was an idol in his life. Why do we know it was an absolute idol in his life? Because he walked away from Jesus over it. Luke 9, 57 through 62, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, hey, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Click. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home 
Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What are these folks saying? They're saying, actually, you know what I'll do? I'll get serious about this and I'll follow you in the future after X event happens or I do this or that or whatever. Maybe when I get to this stage of my life or whatever. And if we've had that approach, then that stage of our life or that thing or that, that accomplishment has now become really an idol in our lives. It has begun to be between us and, and, and the, the ministry that God has for us. And, the, and what Jesus is saying is that we've got we've to put that down. We've got to put that in its right place. It doesn't even mean necessarily you've got to get rid of it. It just means it needs to occupy its right place in your heart. So Jesus then... And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him and the scribes of the Pharisees. And when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it. And he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." You know, it's this cool thing. So much of Jesus' ministry happens at a table and at a meal. The big question, too, is then what we're looking at is that basically what's happening is that the scribes and the Pharisees are looking in and they're watching Jesus and what he's doing and they're seeing who he's eating with, who he's spending time with, who he's hanging out with, and they're like, why is he hanging out with those people? Why would he be with those people? Because who we hang out with and what we do and how, who we have at our table is everything about the status that we attain to, who we see ourselves to be. And, and, and because we have so much of a propensity towards a hierarchical system in our lives that we tend to just want to hang out with the people that we really kind of like and enjoy and are easy to hang out with. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus is in the mess. He's in the middle of it. And he's hanging out with these folks that everybody else is like, why would he even eat with those people? And it's this picture that, that, that God meets us where we're at. He, he doesn't expect that we'll come up to or ascertain all of these amazing places or that we'll somehow get our act all together and then we'll ascend to this place where then we can commune with him. No, he comes down to where we're at. But the big question is, how do we see ourselves, right? Right? Because Jesus doesn't see himself as out of place here, nor probably that anything else weird is going on. He's dining exactly with the people that he wants to be dining with. He's doing exactly what is in front of him for ministry. He's spending time with those who are interested to spend time with him. And he's communing with them, and he's eating and drinking with them, and they just cannot figure out why he would do that. Click. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus speaking. And then he makes an interesting statement, and yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. What does it mean? Well, what it means is this, is that, is that the long-term effects of the things that we're doing and how we're living our lives that whatever seed we're sowing, eventually we're going to get a harvest out of that, and that is going to demonstrate the reality of the wisdom that we were following whenever we were casting seed. 
So Jesus is, is recognizing that wisdom, his wisdom in spending time with the people that he is spending time with is going to bear fruit. And one day it justifies, why would he hang out with those people? Well, he would hang out with those people because those people would become effective in the kingdom for what his purposes were. And so you and I, it's not about being qualified. You know, he, 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 there's a saying, right? He doesn't, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those whom he calls. And so Jesus just started this whole thing, and it's not much different today with this mess, right? Messy people, messy things, hard things. But Jesus is at work in the midst of that, and he's recreating it into something else, something amazing. Just like the song we sang this morning, only he can replace these things with this. Only he can take and, and give beauty for ashes, you know? Gardens out of graves, all of those things. You see, whenever we give it to him, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Listen to this. When they called him a glutton and a, and a drunkard, what were they saying? Well, they were saying this. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. Click. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So why are they calling him a glutton and a drunkard? Because they believe him to be a rebellious son worthy of being stoned, right? What is he? He is the righteous son of God who ultimately would die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven, so that those sins could be forgiven us, and so that we could walk in the wholeness of what he purchased for us. So quick question, who's at your table? Who do you have at your table? Who do you invite over? Are you inviting over and spending time with folks who who need some Jesus? Do you, have, do you have friends that aren't Christians? Not projects that aren't Christians. There's a big difference. Because we tend to take people who aren't Christians and make projects out of them. I don't like that. Do you have friends, people who you love, who don't know the Lord, who you're pouring into, who you're kind of discipling without them maybe even knowing it, Right? Because that's what the picture is here. Jesus is doing that. Who's at your table? And Jesus makes this final statement that it's only the sick that need a physician, right? No more sick people, no more job for you, Corey. One day your job's going to be done. It's going to be over. No, yep, nobody's going nobody's to need, you're going to have to get another job, Corey. Just saying. Um. The picture is this, he's, what he's not saying is, but what is implied to them or the way that they receive it is, oh, oh, well, of course, you're, you're talking to them because they need it, right? Jesus isn't saying that he's only come for those who are 
broken, and because they're obviously broken, they, they need me, so that's why I'm hanging out with them. No. The question is, is where's their heart? Do they recognize the brokenness that is inside of them and their deep need for a Savior? Or are they believing themselves to be somehow self-sufficient? You see, this is why the Beatitudes begins with this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's not until we get a handle on the reality of our spiritual poverty that we're really ready to receive the riches of His grace. There's a reality that that, that we should never be a people who think that somehow we've got it together or that, gosh, I haven't went that far like them. No, we are them. We're the them. We're the theys. All the theys that we get to point out, we're them. We're they. That's us. And until we recognize that, until we get real with the reality of the poverty of our own spirit, we won't be in a place really to receive his grace because we won't recognize that there's a problem. So no problem, no need, right? You, you don't need rescued, you sure don't need a savior. It's not that there's not one available to you, it's just that it's dependent on your recognition of the need till we recognize that we're poor in spirit, that we're broken, that apart from him we have no good thing. When we get real with that, that's the place that we're ready for a relationship with God. So a few things couple things for reflection. A, this. Are we willing to do radical things to rip roofs off? Are we going to get rid of those things, those barriers, those things that are inhibiting people from the presence and the healing power of Jesus? And are we going to be a people, because we know him, because what has been done for us, that we're willing to kind of do the hard thing, not give up when we say, oh, we just tried, but to go and do the hard thing and rip the roof off so that somebody can experience the healing, first and foremost, the forgiveness of sins, and then whatever else healing they might need as well. Have you put down what sits between you and your ministry calling? Or is there something still there? And I'll just leave that between you and God. But is there something there that is inhibiting your ministry calling? Number three, who's at your table? Who's sitting at your table? Who are you having? Who are you talking to? Who are you pouring into? And then number four, do you see your need? Do you recognize that you still have a need? No matter how good you're walking this thing out right now, you have a deep, desperate need for Jesus. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you know us and despite who we are, that you desire a deep, abiding relationship with us. Lord, may we May we just have these blinders taken off of us, Lord. May we not see ourselves as somehow okay or, or that we've somehow arrived or, or forget that we need you or just get too consumed with the things of life and the things that are going on that, that we just forget because we're so busy, because we have so many other things. Help us, Lord, to, to just wrestle with these things through the week to challenge ourselves with, with the degree that we're willing to go out on a limb or on a roof for somebody else, the degree that we're willing to be kind of just um, inconvenienced in our lives. And do we have margins even in our lives for that, for somebody else, or is it just running from one thing to the next to the next? Have we put down that thing that's between us and you? Have we really just surrendered that thing over to you and just 
given it to you? Is it our deepest desire to seek your kingdom first and to allow you to add all things to us from there? May we evaluate, Lord, who, who's at our table, and may we recognize that our table is a place of really intimate ministry with people. So help us, Lord, to just to be found dining with those that you were dining with. Lord, help us that we would, none of us would think ourselves either too high or too low, both of those being equally um, a lie that the enemy just revels in. But that, Lord, that we, because of you and because of what you've done, because of the fellowship that you've brought us into, that we can walk in unity and that we can love others and help us to love those who are marginalized. Lord, help us to have time for them only because we've received your healing and help us to just keep a short account and to recognize the reality of our own need as we go about this week. We thank you, Jesus, for this day. I thank you for each person here. I pray that you would just set them free into the ministry that you have for them this week. That, Lord, we just be mindful and remember that as we individually walk this out, that's what the church is doing this week. As we walk as individuals into the world, as we leave here, that is exactly what the church is doing this week. So, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your plans. And we ask that you would... um, Bless us, watch over us, um, empower us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and use us for your end. In Jesus' name, amen.